You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Oh, snaps. They got me taking a picture right here. My name is DK Zanequit, along with my wife, Marissa. We oversee the Next Generation Ministries on the other side of our region here or there in Long Beach. It's good to be with everybody again this morning. Like I said the first time, I'm here because Brian is out. I think, I think we know that. I got invited back, so I did something okay last time, but just know, okay? I'm here because Brian is out, okay? Um, okay, so I want to jump into our series that we are continuing here all through the book of 1 Corinthians. So far in 1 Corinthians, you ever heard people say, man, I just wish the church was more like the first century. The first century was just so much more awesome. There was this and there was that, blah, blah, blah. And then you read about the first century and you're like, man, the first century is terrible. Every church in there is terrible. It's, you know, that's just how churches go, right? And so, 1 Corinthians... We're dealing with a church that has divisions, right? First, when I, when I came last time, we, we talked about there was divisions over teachers and leaders. Well, I'm with Paul. Well, I'm with, I'm with Peter. Well, I follow Jesus. Well, I follow Paul. And there's all these factions that broke out. We got, we got, we got a little sexual immorality amongst family members, but we're going to skip right over that, right? We got lawsuits, people taking people to court. We got eating food sacrificed to idols and all the issues that that caused within the church. There was so much polarity, so much difference between the people and how they saw those issues. Um, let me see. I didn't turn this on. They told me to turn it on. I didn't do it. Where do I point this at? I point it over there? Oh, I'm just going. Oh, it's not on the screen. Oh, snap. Gospel community, there we go. All right, so here's the map. So we got Corinth, the big red dot right there is Corinth, okay? If you notice, Corinth is right there next to huge bodies of water, and therefore it's a, it's, it is what we call a port city, not too unlike us in Long Beach or you guys here in South Bay, which meant it was a very transient place. It wasn't just a group of people that all knew each other and grew up together and such. It was a group of people that just kept changing and changing and changing. And the church, therefore, was a very different and broad demographic, all right? So they have the issues that, that most churches, that most people have when there's a huge amount of diversity. And that is that there's a huge difference of opinions, right? Every group that is diverse, that has age diversity, gender diversity, um, background diversity, there's going to be a difference of opinions. And here's the problem with having said difference of opinions, is that what we do, what we should do, is I should be like, hey, you know what, man? You like the Raiders, I like the Eagles, man. That's cool, man. I'm just happy. This is great. We don't even talk about that. Or we say, hey, you know what? You grew up one way, I grew up another way. This is great, I love it. We get all the different backgrounds. Instead, what we tend to do when there's diversity is we begin to rank the people. We begin to rank the different parts about us. Well, it's cool, but did you know they're a liberal? I know, I know, it's the worst. Gosh, those, those guys. Man, they're cool, but you know, 
They voted for Trump. It's terrible. God, no. It's terrible people. And what happens is that we look at the things that make us different, and we demonize each other for it. And we, and we, and we say, well, you're, you are worse off for your choices, and I'm better off for mine. And that produces what I like to call winners and losers, mm. right? So in every society where there's differences, there are good differences and there are bad differences. The good differences, we call them winners. Oh, they're rich. They're a winner. Oh, they look a certain way. They're a winner. Oh, they have a certain background. They're a winner. Then there are bad differences. Oh, yeah, that person. Yeah, they're, they're a... Now, once again, I'm going to reference winners and losers throughout the sermon. I'm not calling anybody who is in a certain group an actual winner or loser. I'm defining how society can think of certain attributes, okay? So I just want to preface it. If I say, oh, man, that's a loser, I'm not saying, like, oh, man, I'm a loser now? I didn't know you were... I mean, it's, it's, it's how society is, okay? And two, two, um, you know, bottom line is that that is how we can, we can judge. That is how we can look at each other in a society with, with a huge amount of polarity. I'll give you an example. Um, I was telling this story to my friends the other day. I grew up, I was born in Georgia. I grew up actually around this area a little bit. We live in like a, a two-bedroom apartment. There are seven of us on, on in, I think it was in Torrance or something like that. It was, it was somewhere in this area, okay? Then we moved and bought a house in Carson. So I just moved a lot growing up, bounced around from place to place. And then my parents, I found myself for some reason in ninth grade at, in San Pedro High School, okay? And if you live in San Pedro, you've been in San Pedro, you know that San Pedro is a place that you need to have been born in to fit in, okay? If you were not born in San Pedro, you do not fit in in San Pedro, okay? There's like a shared culture, there's shared memories, there's busy bees involved, okay? And everybody just, uh, and everybody is just friends with each other, and they have this shared thing going on. And I moved there in ninth grade, so as you can imagine, I just didn't fit in. Everyone had their big brothers and big sisters who grew up with them. They all had this stuff, and I was an outsider, right? In that scenario, that school had named winners and it named losers. And I had been named a loser. I'd like to think, of my, I'd like to think that I'm not a loser, right, as a person. But in that context, that, that society had named me a loser. Does that make sense? Yeah. Then I moved the next year. I went to Long Beach, right? I went to Long Beach Wilson High School. I went, I went to school there, it was really great. And I had the privilege of, every, I'm just a large dude. I wasn't like incredible at football at that age, but I was big enough and everybody was like, whoa, he's on varsity, right? Okay, I'll take it, right? Didn't play that year, but I was on varsity, all right? So being in varsity football helped ease my way into a new context so that people thought I was cool, people liked me, et cetera, et cetera. In that context, I'm a winner. Right? Society looked at me, looked at what I could do, looked at who I am, and they said, you're a winner. This is awesome. You get to be a winner. Here's the deal. In every context where there are differences between people, where there are varsity players and non-varsity players, where there are people who grew up in a certain context, people who did not, there will always be a, a slight bend towards naming one group a winner and one group a loser, or ranking all the groups they're in, okay? So, we're going to talk about how that happened in the Corinth church. And we're going to talk about how Paul said, all right, how do we navigate this? Because there were several issues taking place. Number one, unity. Today's lesson is called the United Body of Christ. Oh, the screen's back. This is great. The United Body of Christ. Okay? 
So we're going to talk about the, 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 the primary issue is we got to get on the same page. We got to be together. The secondary issue is what do we do about this whole winner and loser thing? And what do we do to even the playing field? And the third issue is theologically. What, is, what does God have to say about all of this? So we're going we're gonna to look through a couple more debates that, that are taking place in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, and we're going to cover how all three of those issues were, were uh, taken care of for each of those situations. Does that make sense? All right. I got to say one more thing before I start because, because uh, Daniel Kim said something to me in the pre-meeting. I didn't, I didn't appreciate it, okay? So me and Daniel Kim... When I came to the church, Daniel Kim was in Korea, by the way, okay? He, he had moved. So I thought I was the only DK. Then he moves back, and everyone's like, oh, there's a DK. He got here before you. He's cool. I'm like, no, I'm a loser, right? So that's what happened, right? So until, until DK is here. Now, there can only be one DK, as we know, right? Only one DK. And, le and, le and let me just read you the facts, okay? The man you all know as DK, allegedly, his name is Daniel Kim. Okay? He has a regular name. It's Daniel. We can just call him Daniel. We'll all be fine. My name, for the record, oh, no. this is Chukubu DK. Do we have enough time for it? You decide whose name should be DK and whose name should not be DK. <laughs> that is Daniel. I am Chukubu DK. You guys decide. Okay, now I'm going to start. I know, that, I know that Daniel gets the last word, but I decided that I'm going I'm I'm to shoot my shot here, okay? So, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11. So we got to start with a little bit of context in this one. So Paul starts off, the first issue is this idea of, of, of head coverings in church and what that meant about headship, what that meant about men and women, and it's a whole entire thing that Paul's like, okay, this is what we got to do. You can't wear this covering on your head. You've got to have hair. You've got to be bald. You can't be bald. And he goes through this whole entire thing. Now, I don't know about you. I have not had that many hair covering conversations in the last 10 years. No one's ever like, we don't even talk about this, why? Because that's contextual, right? It has a lot to do with, with what's going on in this time in this church. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, scholars have been debating for centuries, okay, how contextual is this? What does this say about different roles and different people and blah, 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 right? This is what I gotta say. I gotta say that at the end of this, at the end of this whole diatribe, Paul makes a statement. Because here's, here's how this can go down. Paul's like, well, in the context of this worship service, women got to be like this, men got to be like this, people got to cover their head, people don't got to cover their head. And it was easy, if we're talking about winners and losers, if you read the passage and we read, oh, well, well, well men's the head of women, blah, 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 it's easy to then think and to construe it and to say, well, men are the winners. And women are the losers in this context. Too bad. It's what it is. You just got to accept it. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, women. And then Paul says this. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also is man born of woman. But everything comes from God. So what do, we, what do we have here? We have this context where it's easy for men to think of themselves as we're just it. We got it. 
we have the advantage, and we should relish in this advantage. And Paul says, I don't know about you guys, but a man has never given birth to anyone. It's never happened. So you guys, so what it means in this context is to understand the, the interdependency. Not the domination, not the leveling of, but the interdependency. That, that we actually need each other. That there are no losers. That there's mutuality taking place here. So, like I said, the first issue is people thinking that they can just be on their own islands. Independency, that I'm better than you, blah, blah, blah. And what Paul says here is, you're not independent of each other. What are you thinking? Man, you are not independent of women. Women, you are not independent of men. You guys are together. You guys need each other. There's no leveling. There's no ranking. You guys are together. Interdependent. Then we have the whole entire issue of, of winners and losers. And what does Paul say? Hey, women came from man, but man came from women. In other words, there are no levels. In other words, hey, let us not, let us, let us look at this whole entire situation and remove the world's stigmas of winners and losers as people. Because that is not true. And what's the theological component here? Everybody and everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. So while you want to rank each other, as you want to take the glory and take the honor and take the privilege for yourself, Paul's like, everything comes from God. Men come from God. Women come from God. Liberals come from God. Conservatives come, wait for it, from God. We got it. We're good. We're good. We get it. So in other words, we can do this. We can, we can pit each other against each other. We can level one another and say, well, this means blah, blah. Or you can say there's mutuality. There is equality because we all come from God. And that's the theology right there, right? So in the issue of men and women and head covering, Paul says there's there's interdependence, there's mutuality, and everything comes from God. There we go. There we go, right? Let's keep going. I got the verses wrong on this one. This is not the correct verse. Um, But next issue that we have here. So basically, they would have these love feasts. They would have, they would call it the Lord's Supper, okay? Now, the Lord's Supper, we get like this lame little cracker and this expired <laughs> juice, right? It's like not, not at all good, right? This is not a feast of any hey, kind. That's how it works at GLB, brother. <laughs> oh, okay, there we go. Well, you guys get less lame crackers and less expired <laughs> juice, whatever, right? There's not a feast taking place, I promise you, okay? Now, these guys had a feast, and here, and there were two issues happening with this feast. Number one, these people were not all like Jewish people who grew up in the group or whatever. So these people came from a society where when you say feast, when you say party, that meant let's get the alcohol flowing, let's have a good time, and let's party. 
Okay, so then they come in, they get, they get baptized in like 50, 55 minutes, and now all of a sudden they're supposed to know that partying does not actually mean getting drunk and having a good time. It wasn't, gonna, it wasn't going over well, right? Number two, um, it, it was like a potluck, right? So then some people would bring the food, and the people with a lot would bring a lot of food. The people with a little would bring little food or nothing. Do you see where this is going? There's winners and there's losers. And there's a feast and there's people getting drunk and having a good time. And there's people who are sitting there being like, man, I know I only brought some soda, but could I get a bite though? Can I have something? Can I just not sit here being all hungry the whole time? And so Paul has to hit this on a number of different levels. Number one, unity. Number two, how do we address winners and losers? And number three, the theology, God, what is, what is God doing here, okay? So, this is what he says. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. None. For your meetings do more harm than good. Yikes, they're taking the Lord's Supper. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. You don't say. You don't say. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So here we go. Paul is looking at them. Three times in this section, he's like, I have no praise for you. Why? We're taking the Lord's Supper. We're a church. We're doing the right thing. We're, we, are, we are baptizing people. We're loving one another. What? You have no praise for us. Why? Because of the issue that I just outlined. Because there, is, there are people who, 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 just like in the society around them, say, if I bring more to the table, I deserve more. If I, bring the, if I bring the most delicious pasta, I'm eating the most delicious pasta. If I bring the best alcohol, I'm getting drunk on this alcohol, and there's nothing you can say about it. And if you bring nothing, you get nothing. And that's how this feast is going to shake out. So how does Paul handle this? First, first, he has to talk about the, the unity. Oops, wrong, wrong direction. The unity. So, first thing he has to talk about is, listen, if you want to get drunk, if you want to have a feast, do me a favor and do it at your house. Because the church is for everybody. The church is not for the rich. The church is not for the winners. The church is not only for the winners. The church is not only for the rich. The church is for everybody. So if you want to have the best, the, the best feast in the world, go home and eat. It's no problem. But when you come to the church, we're all in this together. Yeah. Unity. Number two, winners and losers. Or don't you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? In this context, the loser is those who, who can't afford to bring anything, who can't afford to bring the best, who doesn't have the means, who doesn't have all the stuff to, to participate as much as everybody else. And so Paul says, we got 
We got to rectify that. It's not based on what you have. It's based on being a family. And so all of us eat together. Amen. He handles that. And then theologically, what happens here? The very next section of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes into, you know what these feasts are actually about? There's this dude who died. And when he died, he said, take this bread and eat it in remembrance of me. And when you drink this wine, drink it for the new covenant. And every single day of our lives, we remember his death. That's what this is all about. It's not about getting well fed. It's not about getting drunk. It's not about humiliating people. It's not about making sure that, the, that, the, that all the leaders and all the, all the rich people have the food first and whatever. It's about Jesus. So Paul takes this issue of, of, of feasts and meals, and he says, if you're hungry, go home and eat. He says, do not humiliate those who cannot bring as much to the table. And he says, the reason we do this is because Jesus. Amen. And there we go. Good stuff, DJ. Next slide. Here, here's a third and the final issue of the day. is spiritual gifts. So, once again, to church, a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of gifts. And there are different types of gifts. And so what, what do people do when there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that make us different from each other? I mean, I'm so happy you have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of tongues. I'm so glad that, we're, that we are both loved by God and, and, and it's mutual here. No, they were like, wow, your gift is terrible. I have the best gift. Man, I'm so happy I'm here because my gift is so much better than yours. I'm a winner. You're a loser. So let's see how Paul handles this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit of a message of wisdom. To a spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All these different gifts are had by each person in the church. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. You know that if we were to have a draft right now of spiritual gifts, some of those were a lot more appealing than other ones of those. All right? We got people out here healing other people. And then you got someone whose gift is like faith. What, are we, what is this? Faith? I got the gift of faith too, and I get to heal people. What are you talking about, right? There's rankings. There's levels. There's, well, I mean, I mean, that's cool that you can talk in a different language, but I legitimately am the wisest person out here. You should all get advice from me. I have wisdom. I have not, like, I know everything, and God tells it to me. Like, what? I legit, like, that guy broke his leg, and then I healed him. 
That guy was sick, and then I healed him. Like, I have real gifts. Your gifts are kind of whatever. <laughs> now, I don't know this is, I don't know this for a fact. Like, I don't know which gifts were actually looked upon as better than others, like in real time. But I just know that, like, you know, if this is a draft, I know which gifts I'm picking and which gifts I'm not picking, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We all got to know, okay? And here's the point. Every time there are differences, you better believe that in this society, they're like, and this society loved them some knowledge and wisdom, so I'm sure those were listed first because they were the first round draft picks, and everything else followed behind that, okay? And there's this whole, mm, your, your gift is cool, I guess, but mine is better. Your gift might have come from God, but mine surely came from God. I mean, look at all the impact it's having. Like, you can't even use your gift if I don't speak in tongues. So how awesome is your gift when I'm the one with the real gift, okay? Like, all this can take place. And you know if you are talented in a specific area, that in your quiet moments, you may or may not be like, man, I'm that, I'm that dude. Man, I just got it. Nobody studies the Bible with people better than me. It's never happened. I am the best spiritual mentor that has ever lived. I'm on point. I got it. Nobody, nobody works harder at their job than me. Nobody gives more to the church than me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, poor, poor sister. She, she uh, tries her best, but, but me, I got it. So what does Paul say about it? What does Paul do? First, he has to talk about unity. Oops, wrong direction. Let's talk about unity. So the first thing that he says is, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, it is the same God at work. Now, each of you was given a gift for the common good. Why do we have gifts? For each other. Why do we have healing? You don't just heal yourself every day, do you? It's so someone else can be healed. Why do we have wisdom? For the sake of the congregation. Why do we have any gift? It's for each other. That's how Paul tackles unity. Then you have to talk about winners and losers. You have to talk about winners and losers. What what does Paul say? I'm trying to find it, blah, blah, blah. It's, 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 It's early. There are different kinds of working, but in everyone it is the same God at work. In other words... God gives what he gives because he wants to. And it's to all of us. It's to all of us. We're all together. There are no better gifts. Except Paul says at the end, I'll show you the actual best gift. And it's loving others. Oops, spoiler alert. That's the best gift you can have, right? But in terms of is it better to speak in tongues or prophesy, there are no better gifts. There is not one that's better. There are no winners with with, with gift giving. There are no losers with with gift giving. Sometimes you just need faith, and someone with the gift of faith comes in. Sometimes you need healing, and then that person is awesome. Sometimes you, you hear a prophecy, and then that person is awesome. As a matter of fact, God gives all the gifts, and that's a theological point. They all come from God, right? Why are you bragging about something that comes from God? It's not even your gift. He can take it from you. What are you talking about? Why are you bragging about this? It all comes from God. It's his gifts, right? So, number one, unity. The gifts are for 
the body of Christ. Amen. Number two, uh, leveling of each other, winners and losers. God gives us all these gifts in his own measure, in his own time, so that there are no such things as winners and losers. And theologically, they are God's. They belong to God. And that is all we need to know about that. Amen? Amen. And so Paul closes it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He closes it out with, with a bow to tie this whole entire idea together. With a bow to tie this whole idea of what does it look like to be unified? What does it look like to, to, to take care of those that society might say is a loser in, 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 in a certain context? And what, is, what do we have to say about God in all of this? And so this is how he breaks it down at the very end. It says, just as a body, oops, what? No, I messed that up completely. Let's see. Nope, there it is. All right, there we go. No, I messed this up. Let me think about this. No, I messed up. I missed a slide. All right, well, I'm going to read it on my, on my screen here, and then you guys can uh, catch up when I get there. So just make sure I didn't do it right. Nope, I definitely didn't do it right. Okay, so just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, now we're on the screen, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole party were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body were a blank, where would any of us be? If the whole body was a certain race, where would the diversity be? If the whole body were a certain gender, where would the diversity be? If the whole body believed all the same exact things, how would we know what God was up to? If the whole body was blank, where would any of us be? Right? So we have the unity. We just need each other. Right? We just need each other. My, my, I, have, I have flat feet, and my toes are disgusting. Right? <laughs> I have terrible feet, and my, toes, my, my feet are flat. They don't work that well. My toes look all crazy. Got them from my dad. I see them slightly in my daughter, and I'm nervous because she cannot go out like that. It's awful. And yet, yet, I don't cut off my feet. Why? Because I need them. Right? I may, I may occasionally rank them, but here's, the, but here's the thing. I don't, like, walk on my hands or something, right? They're still the best for the job, right? They're 100% needed and useful, and God made them ugly little toes the way he wanted them to be, okay? That's it. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, just like my toes. If they were all one part, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, here we go about winners and losers. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Imagine reading that and living in a society where society calls you a loser, where society says, you don't belong here. You're not the same. You don't have the same power. Imagine reading that and being the person who just can't, who doesn't have the money to bring anything to the feast. And reading Paul say, you get special honor because you show up every week and you do your best. Imagine being in a society where, where, where men have all the power and women are just sitting there like, wow. And Paul says, you deserve all the honor. You deserve all the honor. Imagine being in a place where you say, man, I don't belong. I don't belong. And Paul says, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You get special honor in Christ. We look out for you in Christ. You can imagine why Paul says, I have no, nothing, to, nothing good to say about you guys because you guys don't have this. You guys don't, do not take care of the people in society who society says they are losers. They don't deserve it. They shouldn't be here with us. And Paul says, I got nothing good to say about you because this needs to be what it is. We give greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Imagine being that person in church, just how emotional you would feel. How, how much you would feel like, man, I'm so glad this is where I am. I'm so glad to be in Christ. I lost my spot here. There it is. But God has put the body together, giving greater honors to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And here we go, the theological. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. At the end of it all, Paul says, listen, this is Christ's body. It is not the body of just the winners. It is Christ's body. So guess what? You all belong. That's why we can't all be the same. That's why we can't rank each other. That's why we can't have winners and losers. Because in Christ, this being his body, there are no better gifts and worse gifts. There are no better people and worse people. There is none of that. All we have is each other. And the unity, and all we have is Christ. It's his body. Amen? Amen. Right now, we're going to go ahead and transition over to the communion. And for that, I'm going to welcome up Pat Hachia, who's going to go ahead and share for us here her communion and testimony.
Good morning, everybody. Um, my, name, <laughs> my name is Patricia Lynn Hachia, but you can call me Pat, as so many of you do already. Um, oh, cool, my comic is up. Okay. I believe that the Christian church needs diversity to understand God. Like these blind men, we may have our own very true perspectives, but they're all limited depending on where we are in life. In this analogy, God is the elephant, and each of us are blind and touching an aspect of the elephant. So by hearing stories from a diverse range of people, it will help us better understand who and what he is. Today, I'll give you a portion of my story, which starts with my parents. My parents both escaped as teenagers the civil war between the nationalists and communists in China. They met in college in Taiwan. My father later immigrated to Canada to study for his PhD in microbiology. He brought my mother over to Canada where they got married and had my older sister, Grace. He then received a postdoc position at the National Institute of Humanities in Bethesda, Maryland, where I, where I was born. Shortly after my birth, my mother was diagnosed with mental illness, and so he brought my mother, my sister, and I back to Taiwan to get help from our relatives in managing this crisis while handling my six-year-old sister and myself. The Chinese call the United States Guo, the beautiful country, because they believe that the U.S. was the land of hope and opportunity. And so for this reason and others, my father returned to the U.S. by himself when I was four or five, and my mother, sister, and I moved in with my maternal grandparents, my aunt, three uncles, and their wives in Taipei and Taiwan. A few years after that, my mother committed suicide. My sister and I were then raised by my grandparents for another few years and then brought back to the U.S. to be with my father. My mother's death, moving to another country where I could not speak the language, reacquainting myself with a father I hadn't seen for a while, and being raised by a single father does seem pretty dramatic, as my kids tell me. Um, it sounds like a really painful childhood. But you know what? Kids are amazing, and God gave them a, the gift of resilience. Yeah. And I had my gift of curiosity imagination, and stories that helped me hope for something better. Though my mom left me when I was young, she left me the legacy of an idea of God. One of my very few memories of her was her taking me to a Catholic church and teaching me how to dip my hand into the holy water and form the sign of a cross. And though my father did not teach us anything about the Christian God, he did often point my sister and I to the miraculous world of nature and science and how things worked under the invisible hand of something bigger than what we can observe with our naked eye. When I was about 11, uh, I started inviting myself to various church activities with my friends because I was curious. I craved answers to life and couldn't find anybody to answer them except for my friends and school teachers. I was searching, is there a God? All these other people seem to think so. I started trying to read the Bible on my own in seventh grade, King, the King James Version. <laughs> I did get as far as uh, the people be getting more people, <laughs> and then I stopped. <laughs> um, I became active in a church youth group on the weekends. 
But the more I listened to the lessons, the more depressed I got because when I was done going to all the events that happened over the weekend, I was still the same unhappy, insecure, lonely, angry, and confused kid. When I was a junior in high school, I decided to pile on the honors and AP classes. I immersed myself in competitive marching band. Too bad Brian Craig isn't here. He can relate with that. You know, there is a, such a thing called competitive marching band. <laughs> and you spend a lot of hard work competing. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I was in the marching band. Um, I was in the school newspaper. And I even got a job at Taco Bell which we otherwise call Taco Hell. Um, at the end of that very busy first semester, where I was really pushing myself to see what I could do, I, I was humbled. Um, I prayed to God saying that if he was real, he needed to do a better job revealing himself, or, or I was done with him. I asked my older sister, who was a part of the LA church planting, to start studying the Bible with me and that was when I started walking with God. I was baptized two months later, still scared, worried, and unsure that I could make the commitment of becoming a disciple, but I took the leap of faith anyways. So fast forward to 2014. In the summer of 2014, my husband Scott was diagnosed with stage four appendiceal cancer. Scott and I met at church and relied on our faith as the foundation for our lives. At the time of his diagnosis, our oldest, who's now in the teen ministry, I'm calling her out, she doesn't like that. Um, I didn't say her name, so that's good. Okay, at the time of his diagnosis, at the time of his diagnosis, our oldest was eight and younger was five. I don't know if she's still in here, but okay. Though, though Scott had been diagnosed um, with stage four, we sincerely believed that God would pull off a miracle on our behalf and have him live for many more years. When he died a year later, after an intense surgery, recovery, and chemotherapy, I was in a state of perplexity. How could God let this happen? He knew the childhood I had and how my mother's death created a huge hole in my life. How could he do this to me again? Why would he do this again? What was the point? All of a sudden, I went from wife to widow and from the two-parent family that Scott and I had built to single-parent household. For the next year, I took myself on a spiritual sabbatical. <laughs> I was both psychologically and spiritually lost. I met with a therapist every other week and looked for pockets of time to grieve while I worked full-time to maintain our household and figure out what was the story behind what God had done. I realized just how young our church was. We had no teaching or doctrine on lamenting, managing grief, or parenting through loss. The older disciples who I used to look to follow in their footsteps had not experienced what I was going through. I started looking into other Christian traditions of mysticism, Catholicism, and different cultures to find ways to reconcile myself to Scott's death my new status, and this God who would treat me this way. I really thought if anything would make me want to walk away from God, this was it. I had never been so tempted to abandon him because of my anger of his cruelty. Yet on the toughest days, 
in the middle of the darkest nights, I found myself flipping through the Old Testament, remembering God in the silence and the whispers of the Holy Spirit. I concluded that I may never know why he did what he did while, while I am alive. And this is a motivation to go to heaven and find out what happened. And I, I also concluded that God would always haunt me and refuse to let me go. During this spiritual sabbatical, the only church activity the girls and I were involved in was church on Sundays. And the only part of church on Sundays that I could relate to in the first six months was the communion. If you're able to, um, please turn to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 10. The word of God, it reads, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul says that we carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be revealed in our body. That is an interesting verse, somewhat mysterious. We carry death. Nobody wants to deal with death. Nobody wants to talk about death. Yet we are obsessed with cheating death. For Christians, we try to pray ourselves out of death. We want to live in this broken world forever. Paul says we carry around death. During the communion, we're called to reflect on Jesus' suffering and death. At Gethsemane, there was not only physical suffering, but the emotional, psychological grief of watching Jesus die. And the disappointment all who were there must have experienced when no miracles came to save him from the cross. Jesus, the man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, that is who we follow. I journaled a lot, especially during that first year. There were very few people that I felt I could share my thoughts and emotions with, except for God and my journal. Here's a short snippet. It's strange. I find myself acting more like Scott now that he is gone. I try to take on his mannerisms and think of what he would do. If he was here, I don't know that I would do that. Makes me think of Jesus. Perhaps as long as he was here on earth, people would not grow to be more like him. They would just continue to be themselves. But having enjoyed his influence and seen his impact, his disciples wanted to be more like him when he was gone. They were forced to be that for themselves and for one another. Scott's death changed who I would become, just as Jesus' death changed who the disciples would become. There is a way of looking at God and life and myself that could never have come about in any other way. People respond to challenges, hardships, and difficulties in different ways. My relationship with God, my faith, guided me in how I responded. The communion gives us a way to respond. It has been a hard 
crazy, impossible, unpredictable time. And we all do not know what is coming. But we can always choose to respond by faith and not by sight. Amen. Our response can be to carry the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in us as we take a leap of faith. Let's see how God will work with all of us to write our next chapters. Let's pray. Amen. Dear God, I thank you so much that we can gather here today as a community, as your community, God, um, to be together in person after a few years of uh, unpredictable, unimaginable circumstances. I thank you, God, also for the Holy Spirit, God, that lives within so many of us, God, that guides us if we would just pause and listen, God, and if we could, are willing to endure the silence, God, and the answers that may come in the silence. God, I just really pray, Father, that you will bless our communion today, God, I pray that you will bless the thoughts of all of us who are reflecting on your death and resurrection, I pray that you will bless the food, the um, bread, even though it's just so imperfect. But, um, but God, we know what it means, God. It's the body of Jesus. And we thank you for the wine or the grape juice. And um, I pray that you will help us walk out today, God, just um, being able to be sober about death, God, but also grateful, Father, for the ability to respond to death in a faithful manner, God. And I pray that you help us to always take that leap of faith, God, no matter what it is, Father. And uh, ask and pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.